Welcome. Welcome back. Welcome home. This is Tracy, and we want to thank you for being a part of the Life Together podcast. Before we get into this week's teaching, we want you to know that you matter to God and you matter to us. Life Together is a Wednesday evening gathering for worship, Bible study, and community here at Oak Creek Assembly of God in Oak Creek, Wisconsin. We're going to be talking about building wealth. I hope this is a fun topic for you. I personally, I like it. I like finances, and I do appreciate this um, the sermon series. I hope it's been insightful for all of you. Last week, Pastor Dan was talking about debt, and now we're going to be talking about building wealth. Are you guys excited? I'm especially excited. And so it's a really important part of our Christian life is, you know, finances, because just like if we weren't Christians, we still need money. You know, we need to eat, we need to have a, a home, and and we need to clothe ourselves, we need to provide for our families, and I was just thinking, you know, on Independence Day, 4th of July, how blessed we are as a country. Not only do we have our independence, but we live in a country that we are so far beyond economically blessed. It's so unbelievable. There are people in this world that strive just for the basic necessities of life. You know, food, clothing, and shelter, and for us, it really comes easy. I mean, easier, comparatively speaking, to all the other people in the world and in other generations. Like, our great-great-grandparents struggled a lot more than we did. In 2022, we got it made. I mean, most of us, we were pretty dry last night, even though it was like monsoon rain and, and uh, you know, crazy weather. We were dry. I'm sure we ate or we're going to eat after this sermon. I'll keep it short for you because somebody over here is hungry. He wants to go and eat. So this will be really short, but we are beyond blessed in this country, and we have uh, the resources to do so many things, and um, I'm, just, I'm just amazed by, you know, the amount of abundance that we have in this country that's accessible to all of us. And I was, you know, looking up statistics just last night. It's kind of hard to find out what is, like, the average wage of the people in this world because it's, you know, it, the scale is so large because the top 10%, you know, make billions and, you know, millions. And, and then, the, you know, the bottom, you know, 50% is, like, so low. But 45, 46% of the world population lives off of $5.50 a day. Isn't that crazy? And so $5.50, and you and I, we can't even go to Chick-fil-A for that price. And, you know, and not only are, do we have the, act, you know, access to, you know, this economic uh, structure that we have. I mean, we could have any job. There's so many jobs. In fact, there are people dying to get into this country to work jobs that you and I wouldn't even really want to work. Isn't that fascinating? And in fact, our unemployment rate, there are double the amount of job openings than people that are unemployed in this country. That is just so fascinating. And I had the opportunity to live in third world countries and um, 
Latin America, Caribbean, and literally I did meet family mem- families who lost family members of people trying to get to this country, either in the river or out in the, in the sea, the Gulf of Mexico, or in the Atlantic Ocean. And so I'm just thinking about all of the abundance. But let's like look at the positive side. I mean, a lot of us, we have an overabundance. We have more clothes than we could even, you know, really wear in a week's time, right? We have, we have a refrigerator. We all have food in the refrigerator, most of us. Uh, most of us have at least more than $5.50 in the bank, I hope. And um, what else? We have a job, right? Or we have access to income. We have the ability to create wealth. Uh, we have all these like resources like available to us. I mean, there's so many great resources. There's people who are very wealthy probably that are like we have access to that we can learn from, but we also have like these books. We have like classical books, I don't know if you've ever read Think Rich, Grow Rich. That's a, that's a really good classic. And then, and then there's like other books like written in our lifetime that are just fascinating that we could really learn how to build wealth. I, I think about the book The Millionaire Next Door. I really like that one because that one is, you know, talks about living within your means and, and living below the standard that you could live and using that money and investing it wisely and building more wealth because once you have just a little bit of wealth and you invest it in the system that we have all, we all have access to, we can become even more wealthy. And, you know, just learning about compound interest, uh, I wish I knew about that, you know, earlier because the earlier you get in you start investing and you stay consistent with it you can be a millionaire in no time and there's this statistic if you invest $300 a month beginning at age 25 and let's assume that it's a 11% return um, by the time you are 57 you are a millionaire and if you wait 10 more years to retire so 25 to 67 just $300 a month you will have 3.3 million dollars that's amazing and um, that's like that's like what fifth grade math or sixth grade math I don't know I, I didn't that is like so easy to comprehend and there are so many millionaires in our country alone does anybody know how many millionaires there are in the United States of America? Another educated guess? That was a good one. I mean, a million? 20 million. 20.2 million millionaires and growing. And most of those are multi, or many of them are multi. And uh, there's a ministry that we follow as a church. It's called Ramsey Solutions. We teach a class called Financial Peace. In, uh, financial Peace, what? Financial Peace. Yeah, Financial Peace University. And so that group did a study on 10,000 millionaires, 10,000 people in this country who have reached that mark of a million dollars, and what all of them, most of them had in common is that they earn their wealth through their jobs. Surprise, surprise. They worked, they made money, they stayed out of debt, they paid off their house, they invested, and they reached the million dollar mark. Very few, a small percentage, you know, it was inherited. Zero percent was the lottery, 
and even fewer than zero, if you can imagine that, was at Potawatomi, okay? And nobody, nobody reached that mark through Bitcoin or crypto, interestingly enough, and, or credit card points, okay? But, but those, the majority of the 10,000 have received their wealth through their job. And so as long as you continue with your income, you can build wealth, you can invest. And we got so many tools. We got like the IRA, the Roth IRA, you know, tax saving tools and we have 401k and some of you are super blessed with the pension. Uh, we're not, I'm not, you know, we're not as many, most of us are not as fortunate, but we have all of these, all of these tools and like by the time this sermon is done, you could be on your phone and open up a brokerage account within minutes and start investing in any of the, you know, S&P 500. What, what do you want to invest in? You can do it right through your phone. We have so many tools, and it just feels kind of cool that we're, we have all of that uh, access to this abundance. And, and then I think about, you know, Jesus' teaching, and he taught his disciples that in eternity— we will be in the presence of God, and Jesus has come to give us life and life in abundance. Isn't that awesome? Not just for all of eternity, but here on this earth, we can have access to all of this abundance. And I don't think I would be a good pastor in, in telling you that you can build wealth so you can be comfortable and you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, with whomever you want, but God wants you to live the abundant life so you can be generous and live a truly spiritually abundant life to bless others. He wants to use you as his instrument for his glory and his honor. But um, so it, it's kind of cool that we can be his instrument and receive from him and then go and bless others. And I do want to share with you, oh, from God's word, we should probably open up uh, the word of God. And Pastor Dan gave me this wonderful parable. It's like the most difficult parable to really understand in, in the entire Bible. So I, he always does this to me, but Luke 16, and it's the parable of the shrewd manager. And out of the 40 parables, Jesus taught them all. Out of the 40, this is the, the most difficult one to understand because everyone in the entire story is corrupt in one way or the other but we're going to learn a spiritual principle from this parable and we're going to extract it and see how we can apply it to our lives and jesus who taught this parable is really desires to tell his disciples and how to live an abundant life and and instruct them and in how to how they should use their wealth and so Luke chapter 16, I'm just going to simply uh, tell the story, and then we're going to actually read the conclusion. But it's going to be up on the screen, but it's the parable of the shrewd manager or the unjust steward or, or something along those lines. But everyone in this story is corrupt. And let me tell you, there is this rich man, and he was the master and the master, he had a lot of money. He had employees. He had a lot of business transactions. And he wasn't even involved in his big business transactions. He had employees to oversee that. And so he hired this manager to manage his accounts, big accounts, uh, lots of you know, lots of wealth transferring from one hand to the other. And this master, 
heard about this manager mismanaging his wealth. And so he calls him in and says, hey, manager, I hear that you are not being wise with my wealth. Now give an account of your irresponsibility. Tell me what you are doing. And because you can't have your job anymore. In other words, from quoting one of the past presidents, you're fired, right? And so you're fired, but the weird thing about the story is he fires him on a Tuesday, but he allows him to work until like a Friday, which is a horrible policy because the unjust steward has an opportunity to kind of like, you know, make deals and, and do things. And so this, this manager thinks to himself, I lost my job. What am I going to do? What about my future? What about my comfort? Where am I going to live? My status within the community? What is it that I'm going to do? And, you know, he was a manager. He was well-prepared. He was an e probably an educated man. He, 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 he knew, uh, you know, how to work, wheel and deal, and do business with other landowners on behalf of his master. And he, he simply just wasn't doing a good job. He was um, managing irresponsible, you know, irres he was irresponsible. He didn't do anything illegal up to this point, but he lost his job. And so he thought to himself, well, I don't want to dig. I don't want to, like, work hard labor. I don't want to work in the trades. I don't want to beg. I'm t I'm, I don't want to, you know, I'm too proudful for that. So he thought to himself, and he's coming up with a, a plan what am I going to do? And so he says, I got it. So I'm not going to steal from my master. How is he going to walk off the estate on Friday with, you know, you know, all this stuff? He can't do that, but he can go and make deals with all of the debtors of his master. So he goes and he started making deals. He, he knows all of the accounts and, and he goes to the first one and says, how much do you owe my master? Well, 900 what gallons of olive oil is that it 900 gallons sit down quickly and write down 450 we'll cut your debt in half and isn't it interesting sit down sit down quickly it's kind of like a shysty salesman right like sit down real quick sign here initial here and out you go like really quick and they're making this deal and and you know what's he's He's pretty much stealing, and the debtor never asked, well, is your master okay with this? And, like, is this, this, is, is this whole transaction legal? But he was happy to write off and say, okay, 450, my debt is erased by 50%. You know, I looked up, how much does 900 gallons of olive oil cost? But back in the day, that was like three years of wages. Three years. So he just wiped a year and a half clean I would be pretty happy about that. And he goes to the next guy, and it's, you know, bushels of weed. And, and instead of owing 100, he, he, he says, right, sit down quickly, sign here, initial here, make that 80. And basically what the guy is doing, he is going around making all of these deals so these people are now indebted to him. Remember, this is like a, a culture and a society built on honor. And he's making all these deals. Now all of these people are, are uh, um, complicit with, with his actions, and there's nobody really to blame. And now he's got these people owing him a favor. And so when he's out of a job on Friday, maybe he's got a place to live. 
Maybe he's got a new career. Maybe he'll be accepted into society. Maybe they're, they're probably going to remember all of the debt that was erased and, and really, you know, hook him up in the future. And so that's what this unjust steward is doing. But what makes this story so shocking is that the victim in the story, the master, you know, he's the one who's getting stolen from. I mean, just imagine if you lost all of that money in just a few transactions from your employee. So he, the victim, commends the steward. He commends the unjust manager. And he said, wow, you were very clever in your dealings with that. That's amazing. What? How is that happening? And what makes this this whole parable even more shocking is that Jesus is teaching it and he actually recognizes that this unjust steward, this shrewd manager who was clever and was conniving and, and you know, dealt um, his, his master with such a blow, losing all this money, he was actually commended and praised by his actions. And why is that? Can we look at verse... verse um, that last verse, I think it's verse 10. He said, I totally lost my place. I just was telling the story. Are you, do you guys get the Bible? Is it here? Oh, yes. Verse, verse uh, 8, please. Can we go to verse 8? Just back up one. And it says, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly for the people of this world are more shrewd in their dealings what? And they're dealing with their own kind than the people of the light. So he's, Jesus is saying, you know what? This guy who is a person of this world is actually more wise than the children of light, than the people of the children of God. And what he's trying to teach them is this guy was looking out for his future, and why can't the children of God look out for theirs? And this is what really makes this story so amazingly shocking because it's kind of hard to understand who is Jesus, you know, commending here. What does Jesus want us to do? As, as we're listening to this illustration, this story, what is the spiritual principle that you and I can walk away with? This was a, a well-devised scheme, and, and this guy, he took advantage of the situation, reducing the debts so he could be set up for his future. And I'm thinking that, you know, what Jesus wants to say is that sinful people act to secure their own future benefit in very clever and ingenious ways. I mean, there's so many ways to make money in our system. I mean, there's, it's like this system that just goes on and on, and there's people who want to take your money, take my money, and they just want to build more wealth and do more transactions, and we live in this corrupted system, which we all have to live in. We all have these exchanges of money, but there's people who are just totally focused on making money. That is their goal. That is their only goal is to make more wealth and as Rockefeller said or once answered the question, how much is enough, Mr. Rockefeller? And he said, one more, just one more and I'll be satisfied. And there's all these statistics of, uh, of surveys of Americans. How much money would you need to feel rich? What is that number? 
And the number is all over the board. It all depends on how much you have right now. There's people who have less than you and said, if I had as much as you did, I would be rich. I would consider myself a wealthy person. And then I would start, I would be able to live a generous life and think about others and, 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 and do the things I want to do. But the number is all over the board. It's not a goal. Building wealth is simply this process of, of receiving from the Lord, right? We earn, we use our time, our talent, and our treasure. We receive from him, and then we give to his work. We give to those in need. Yes, we take care of ourselves, and we take care of, you know, the needs that we have. We have to go to the doctor and the dentist. I need toothpaste. I need this. I need that. My kids need a lot of stuff, and they need less stuff than my wife, okay? She needs a lot of stuff, and um, I'm very, very simple. And since I'm a pastor, I just want to live a simple life just to be an example for all of you. You know, I don't want to live a flashy life. I bought this, you know, four years ago, I bought this flashy $700 bike, and I rode thousands of miles, and I, I actually made up all the money and, you know, gas miles. I think it's like 55 cents a mile. Is that correct? 55 cents a mile. They should up that because gas is so high. But I rode that bike so much. I made that money over and over, and, um, but I feel too... You know, sometimes I feel too flashy on that bike, but then I found a bike in the garbage, and I ride that one, and I feel just a little bit more frugal, and I, uh, you know, just a little bit more humble. But really, I found this Trek bicycle in the garbage. It's so awesome. It only needed a tire. But I just want to live a life that is pleasing to God. I just know that he's going to take care of my needs. And, um, you know, when I got saved, uh, he, he took took over my soul. He saved me. He redeemed me. He had my heart. But to tell you the truth, uh, he, was, he, didn't, he wasn't able to touch my wallet until years later. And um, I don't know if that's your story, but I didn't learn how to tithe until after becoming a Christian, after following after Jesus. And I was just talking with John Dickinson in the back, and he was saying that his life changed for the better once he started tithing tithe first. That was his uh, piece of advice. And I wasn't taught that when I first got saved. My, my instruction was, here's a Bible, and go, go, go to a church that teaches God's Word, and read your Bible. And, um, and so I did that, but it was really difficult for me to give at first. I was like, I was like this. Like, I had, a, I had a poverty mindset, and maybe it was my upbringing, I have no idea, but I was like, I held on, and then I remember the day when I first dropped a $20 bill in the offering bucket, I've, I, I invited somebody to church who wasn't a Christian, I said, look at, I said, look at this, I'm going to put a $20, like, I felt, I felt so spiritual, and um, I had no idea on, you know, tithing and giving, and I went to some class, I think it was called, like, Discover class, and they told me, you know, they touched on tithing, and the pastor who was teaching this class said, when you were in the world, you spent way more than 10% on sin, and then I'm, and I was thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm very analytical, so I added up, like, okay, when I was in the world, I would go and party and do this and spend that and then like you know compare it to my wages I'm like oh yeah that was like way over 10% and I'm like could I give God 10% I mean does this 
does, it, does he want me to? Does this even work? And that's how I started tithing. I know it's not that spiritual, but I hope you like the story. And, um, and then I became a missionary, and, and I was in Mexico, and when I, when I first went to Mexico, I was doing ministry, quote-unquote ministry, at my local church, and I teamed up with one of the pastors, and he was like my mentor, my pastor, and I say quote-unquote because I thought I was getting myself into like this mentorship relationship, but like I ended up like working at his house and digging like, um, uh, you know, like, what is it, sprinkler lines out in East County of San Diego, which is like all full of rock, and so I'm sitting there digging, digging for my pastor, digging these you know, these, um, these plumbing lines, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking back on the Karate Kid, you know, Daniel-san and Mr. Miyagi, it's like, this does not make any sense, I, I don't know if this is ever going to come together, and I, I don't even know why I'm working here for, like, free, and uh, this guy is abusing me, and, and, and then I started doubting, because everyone made fun of him, because he was, like, um, he was an anointed man of God, and, but he was from, he, he was from Iraq, okay? He was Chaldean, and there's a big Chaldean community in, in San Diego, and so for some reason, I, out of all the pastors, I team up with the Chaldean, and he's going to teach me all about missions and all about ministry, but I'm sitting there working at his house, and then we finally go down to Mexico as a team, and, and he's telling me all this uh, of how he does business and how he's doing ministry and how him and the other pastors are always hustling and doing all these deals and we were able to spend all of this money but also make all of this money to to rent this place to invite people to come and hear about the good news and I mean I was 22 years old I had no idea what was going on and all the transactions involved but I had like that Daniel son experience like Oh, this is, this is why we're hustling. This is why we're, you know, working night and day, whether it's in San Diego and Mexico and doing all these business deals and all these, and asking people to support this ministry because this is what we're here for. We're here to reach people with the gospel. And it like all came together and it was just like such a beautiful story of, of, how I did not understand how finances worked and giving and, and actually giving my time and my energy and then the little talents that I had. If I give, then I could see God move in mighty ways. If we could go back to verse 10, and this is kind of like the interpretation that Jesus gives to his disciples of, you know, you want to be the shrewd manager no, you don't want to be the conniving, stealing person, but you want to think about your future. You want to sow into people. You want to win friends. You want to uh, give to others. And it says in verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And what are those true riches? I mean, the true riches for the Christian is, is people. You know, God loves people. He sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to save people. You and I, we're already saved. And he wants us to use 
the resources that we have so that others may know him. Can we be trusted with the wealth that we have? Yes, we can be clever and we can, we can, we can build wealth and we build more and more. And it's not just for us, but it's for him to use so we can win others to Christ. And this is, this is the teaching of Jesus. By the wise investment of material possessions, we can have part in the eternal blessing of men and women. And we can make sure that when we arrive to the gates of heaven, there's going to be like a welcoming committee saying, thank you for investing and uh, thank you for investing in me so that I may know who Jesus is so I can be here in heaven with you. And there's going to be people thanking you for your prayers and thanking you for your financial sacrificial giving. And these people will thank us saying, it's because of you who invited me here. You shared Christ with me. You invested in me. You used resources so that I can know the Lord. And money is like the least of these things. Money is, is irrelevant, but money is a tool. And the spiritual treasure is the important part of the equation, and that's the people. And so let us be righteous with the unrighteous wealth. And then we could be counted worthy when, when God calls us to give an account of, of how we manage his resources. Because at the end of the day, everything is his. And he wants us to be like open hands. He can give, he, he, can, he can trust in us to, to give us more, but that we would use it how he wants us to use it. Let's look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. We can only have one master. We can only be devoted to one person, and we, that should be God, God himself. We cannot serve both at the same time. When I was a missionary in Mexico, I, I thought of my, my, my experience like my first couple of years as I was in an impoverished uh, community in this dusty village. I mean, dusty meaning the streets were not paved. And, and so it was very hot and the wind would blow and dust would come all into your house. And um, I lived at the church and the safest the cleanest part of that church was my car because I would drive my car into the church and sleep in my car because everything else was just kind of dirty. And so, like, at least I had AC and the church was kind of, like, open, but, you know, like, there was, like, rebar and, like, a tin roof and things like that. And then the restroom was, like, outside, okay? So it was, like, an outhouse outside. And when the floods would come, and they would come with a vengeance, it would flood the street, and the whole sewer system would come up through that bathroom, through the toilet, because it was connected directly to the, to the, you know, to the, to the toilet, the street. And so I wouldn't use that bathroom very often, and there was gracious people who would let me use their, their plumbing and all that good stuff. And I felt like, this is a very impoverished town. And the youth, I, I was like the youth pastor, and I was learning Spanish, trying to be their youth pastor, trying to encourage their families to, 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 to be thankful and to live in the joy of the Lord. And um, it was very impoverished. However, I had the opportunity to go visit another missionary, a Mexican missionary in the country of Cuba. And um, 
You get to do that when you live in Mexico. I had a Mexican passport, and you get to like fly to places like Cuba, even though that's illegal for it was illegal for Americans to go there. And I visited my friend in Mexico or in Cuba, and he he was in this town that was extremely. I mean, comparatively speaking, Cuba is like ex- economically like devastated it looked like i mean there was a few cars from the 50s driving around and this is not in havana this is in this really hot village in the center of the island and it was very impoverished and the people in cuba they're they're very educated they're extremely nice and doctors they would make 20 dollars a month and the same you know, at the same hospital, the janitor would make $12 a month, and everything was subsidized by the government, and everything was was just, um, just very impoverished, and what they had was they had the Lord, and they had community, and they were very very loving people, just amazing. And this missionary, uh, with a group of other Cubans, they were hustlers. They would, they would, you know, do business. They made way more than the 20 bucks a month, way more than doctors. They were able to, to build wealth, and then they would help everyone in their community. They would first help their, the people in their church. They would reach out. They would use all this money to reach out, and uh, they... I mean, there's like this black market in Cuba. It's just kind of weird, and the, the government controls everything. Did you know that you can't even eat beef if you're a Cuban in Cuba? All the beef is for the tourists. And so even if you have a cow, you can't even eat. You can't even kill your cow. You have to sell it to the government. And so they would make all of these deals with government workers, and there was this black market, and they would just work hard out in the fields, and then they would come back at night and do ministry with the community, and they would share their resources to help people in need. And I was so impacted by their ministry that I thought, man, these guys are just using 100% of everything that they're making. God is blessing them. It is a prosperous ministry, and they are just blowing it up for Jesus. And in that town, it was the biggest church. Uh, They had so many kids and youth, and everybody knew that there was something different about those group of people because they were just so generous. And God used that ministry. And I thought to myself, that is the type of lifestyle I want to live. I want to live passionately for the Lord. I want to show people through my lifestyle that I have no other master than Jesus Christ. And I, um, I do read all those books, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I just, you know, I follow, like, um, alux.com or future billionaires come to get expired, come to get inspired, and I, I love all those, the wealth building um, tools that are available to us, but I want to use those principles, which are really designed by God, inspired by God, to use it to bless others, and that is the lifestyle that I want to live, and so I just uh, pray f- for you guys. I pray that you would live abundant lives, spiritually, relationally, emotionally, but also physically and, and financially. I think finances are so important, and, you know, we have a big church. We have a lot of people who are going through a, a lot of struggles, and it seems like, you know, marriage problems, relational problems, there's a lot of problems dealing with money, and if we can get this right, I think a lot of things would go right for us. Our anxiety,
anxiety would go down. Uh, we would live more thankful. We'd be more joyous. And, and if we live a life that says, you know what, here, Lord, use my resources for your glory and just pray about who is it that I can bless? Who can I help? What individual is in my life that I can just, just, just be generous with and that is what god wants us to do this is whole point is let's let's make friends let's sow into eternity and let's be generous with what god has given us and if if you haven't experienced generosity like you know when i got saved i i took me a few years to learn about tithing. You know, if that's you, I encourage you to, you know, try it out. This is something between you and God. And I, I just, I just think that you can test him on this and you can, you will see that it is totally worth it. Our, our lives are uh, meant to, to, to be a vessel of, of blessing from God through us to others. And I pray for that for you guys. If I can pray for you guys, that'd be awesome. Father, I'm just so thankful for uh, your word. I'm so thankful for this parable, even though everyone in the story is messed up in this corrupted system, you have a spiritual lesson that you are teaching your disciples and you want us to sow into the... into others, Lord. You want us to sow in eternity. You want us to be generous. And Lord, you have clearly taught us that we cannot have two masters. We can only have one. And we declare that you are our only master. You are our king. You are our Lord. And everything that we have comes from you. And we're so thankful for that. We're thankful that we get to live in this land of abundance, of, of of safety lord we're protected from the elements uh, we have food we have shelter we have clothing we're so thankful for that and then above and beyond that you have blessed us with so much but lord i pray for every need every financial need uh, represented in this room and i just pray that you would uh, give wisdom to all of your children so that they can get out of debt that they can live in abundance and i just pray that they would experience a generous life as you have been so generous to us lord you are the you are the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills there's nothing too difficult for you and you have everything lord and we just we just want to be faithful we want to be a faithful steward a faithful manager with what you have given us and i just pray all of this in the name of jesus amen thank you so much for being with us for the life together podcast it's even better when we get to see you in person you are invited to join us on wednesday evenings here at oak creek assembly of god We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at oakcreekag.org.